Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. On the Water, our brand new series this month, and I'm honored to be able to kick it off. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to read from John, the Gospel of John chapter 4. And I'm going to uh, do something that I don't normally do, but if you're willing and able, will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey. Set thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up, into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may, I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And at this point, His disciples came, and they marveled that He talked with the woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? 
Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I want to teach a message today called Characteristics for Christ Followers. Characteristics for Christ Followers. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us where there's darkness, that you would heal the broken places of our heart that need to be healed, that you would move us forward in being a true worshiper in spirit and in truth, that Holy Spirit, you would help us see Jesus clearly. We look to him and may he be magnified and glorified. We yield to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know if you noticed in the text, but it highlights that Jesus, the Son of God sent by the Father to earth. Jesus, the one that the majority of us, if not all of us, declare as King and Lord and Savior. It said and highlighted He being wearied from His journey. I don't know about you, but I find that comforting. I find it comforting that Jesus, who had the fullness of the Spirit without measure, that He Himself found Himself on His journey being weary. Being weary. Now when you look at His journey that includes His ministry, you find that He faced difficulties as well. In fact, fact, all throughout His ministry... He dealt consistently with religious hypocrisy around him. Jewish leaders, those who had had the oracles of God, the sayings of God, that's a fancy way of saying the scriptures of God, committed to them, entrusted to them, that the Jewish leaders in many of the nation resisted Jesus and had religious hypocrisy. That Jesus often was being baited by questions from them, trying to them trying to trap him, to ensnare him, saying the wrong thing. You had people around him hating him, despising him, him, plotting to harm or to kill him. You, You also had many people using him for their own needs. You had people just trying to touch him. If they could just get to him and touch him so that they could be healed. You had multitudes following him just so their belly could be fed. And on this journey that was dictated by Jesus 
obeying the Father. Going where the Father told him to go and saying what the Father would tell him to say that on this journey of obedience, yet he finds himself weary. If you notice in the text, he comes to this well and there's a woman, a Samaritan woman there and she says, you being a Jew. Listen, Jesus' journey had divine purpose and divine restriction and a divine plan, meaning God's divine plan for Jesus and for His journey is that He would be a Jew. God had prophesied for centuries that the Messiah would be a Jew, that He would be a descendant of King David. This was part of His journey and the divine plan for His journey. But notice what the text does not highlight in this context and in this narrative. It didn't say that he was wearied from the Jews' journey. Though the Jews had a journey, God had been leading the Jewish people and the nation for centuries and working in their life, but this text highlights that Jesus himself was not weary from the journey of the Jews, but he was weary from his own journey. What this means for you and I up front today as followers of Jesus, who, if we want to submit to the worldview of Jesus, is that the kingdom of God first comes without observation. Meaning the kingdom of God first comes like a seed that's planted on the inside of the heart and minds of individuals. And from there it grows to then begin to affect things, circumstances, situations around it. Also, we as followers of Jesus Christ who are here today must never forget that a biblical worldview is that in the end, each person, each soul gives an account of themselves before God their Creator. That every individual will give an account for their own life before their Creator. Now it's from that biblical worldview and from that foundation, we then can begin to look at other issues, circumstances, and truth. Here's the point of what I'm saying up front. That God spoke and He says, it is to love God first to then be empowered to love your neighbor. It's love God first to then have the capacity and be empowered to love the person next to you and neighbor. And what's interesting is though she says to Jesus, though you being a Jew, yet though he was a Jew, but he stood out different than all of the other Jews she had ever known. There was something, though he was a Jew, that stood out from just being a Jew. Why? Because Jesus modeled and lived the great commandment. He first lived in obedience to God the Father and then that empowered Him to be able to love others even those that were different than Him. Now, there's two main purposes you've got to understand of, of responsibility that I have before God to you. The first is designed and, and commanded by Ephesians 4 that as an equipping minister, as one who's called and gifted and to function either as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, I exist to equip brothers and sisters, to equip you. Secondly, 
as an elder and leader of this congregation, I'm responsible for those right before me. Now, I say that because we do open up online and streaming, and people can stream from the nations, from different states, from different contexts. Okay, and we do that. But I have a responsibility before God for those that He's put right before me to shepherd and to equip and to lead. I say all that to remind you that when Jesus went to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, that He had a different message for the different churches that were in different cities. Okay? So when I get before God this week... I have to know I'm here to equip the saints for their part and their role in the overall work and ministry of Jesus Christ. But secondly, I stand before this unique context and congregation called dwelling place. And when I prayerfully thought of that, I ended up in John 4, did not plan on being here, and yet this is where I'm confident the Lord has led me. And when I thought about Jesus' exhortation to us in this congregation dwelling place, one of the things that began to fire in my heart is to remind you and I about seeing the person right before you. Seeing the person right before you. When you look at John 4, that's what you you find. Listen, there were multitudes of people on the earth. And yet when we look to Jesus, our Lord, you see Him being so invested, attuned, attentive, to the person right before Him. Because here's why that matters. It is an absolute fantasy if I think that I can't love the person right before me, but I can love a person in another city or across the world. It's an absolute delusion, fallacy, fantasy. And then I begin to think, about Jesus talking to this lady. And I thought, you know what? I bet she was weary from her journey also. Because the text highlights she's had five husbands. She's now with her sixth man. And she's out at the well, what the text says, the sixth hour, which in the Jewish clock, that's at around noon. In the heat of the day, no one else is around. She's on her sixth man, Five failed marriages, and I could just imagine. I bet she's weary also. Wow. See, Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. But Jesus is what you read in the book of wisdom, Proverbs. He's that in the flesh. He's that in action. And when you read Proverbs, you find in Proverbs 4, 25 and 26, one of the things wisdom says is let your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Why? Because if you don't ponder the path of your feet and you don't keep your eyes in front of you, then you won't be able to be aware and love the person right before you. Right before you. See, listen, we don't love hypothetical people. And we don't love hypothetical situations. We are called to first love God and then Him empower us to love real people right before us. Now there are two ditches, two traps up front that I want to mention that I think you and I in this congregation could be very vulnerable to. The first is this. It's the result of the fruit of being overwhelmed. What do I mean? 
very easy to get overwhelmed because there's so many evils in this world. There's so many. Listen, there are very pressing evils like racism and injustice, sex trafficking. There's still multitudes without clean drinking water. There's still multitudes in poverty. There's many still starving across the world. I heard a gut-wrenching first-hand account from a father, I'm a father, from a father whose boy during the coronavirus committed suicide. I mean, there is so much going on in our world. It's so easy to get overwhelmed. But being overwhelmed becomes a trap that can lead to this. We miss the person right before us. We get so overwhelmed that all that needs to be corrected, all the evils in the world, all that we could desire and hope that God would fix, that we get so overwhelmed that we miss the person right before us. And I see from John 4, Jesus exhorts us, I'm encountering the woman at the well, to not forget the person right before us. I think about what the president of High Point University said. He said, one of the greatest reasons... People cannot mobilize themselves is that they try to do great things. And most worthwhile achievements are a result of many little things done in a single direction. What he's saying is most people do nothing because they get overwhelmed. They look and they see all the problems and all the issues and they absolutely short circuit and they shut down. And Jesus to us will say, no, no, listen. The way to not be overwhelmed is to be aware and attuned to the person right before you. Start there. Oftentimes we do nothing because we let culture define what is considered great things. In my book, Building with Balance, we deal with it often, that, that the culture tries to define what's great. And oftentimes with the Holy Spirit, in order for Him to move and work through His people, He's saying, no, you start with what's right before you, even if culture says it's not significant or great. Start with your heart and the person right before you. And then there, keep moving in that direction that the Lord would lead you on. Now here's the other ditch. And I would say for a majority of us here at Dwelling Place, we would be very vulnerable to this ditch. The other side of the ditch and trap is never be willing to go through Samaria. Never be willing to put yourself in a new place before a new person, a person that's different than you, a person who has a different journey than you, who's had a different upbringing than you, who's had a different experience than you. But listen, but they're also wearied from their journey. I think most of us would be vulnerable to that side as well. That we wouldn't be unwilling or not intentional to put ourselves before someone like Jesus intentionally did. A woman of Samaria. Total different journey. Total different upbringing. Total different worldview. Total different beliefs. Total different thoughts. And yet, yet, He put Himself right before. 
And you know what a fruit of that trap is and that ditch? To not be willing to go through Samaria? It leads to the fruit of lacking empathy. Lacking empathy for those that's on a different journey. Those that's had a different experience. Those that have a different upbringing. Those that come from a different place. The fruit of not being willing to go through Samaria... is it can cause us to lack empathy. And for us, dwelling place, we gather to Jesus. That's our mission, to gather people to Jesus. Meaning, we don't gather just come to hear what we already believe and we're just looking for the pulpit to affirm what it is we already believe. We're gathering to Jesus and we're asking Him to move us forward in His mind and who He is. That we're willing to understand that following Jesus is a journey of continuing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. So we don't come with everything settled. We don't come with with knowing everything. We come to focus on the one who knows everything and can move us forward on the path of following Him. So listen, as followers of Jesus who's submit to Jesus' worldview, we should always find ourselves being opposed by those who are in either of the extreme ditches of the matter. That's why Paul said, those who desire to live godly in Christ, they'll suffer persecution. In a polarized culture, to be faithful to Jesus, I guarantee you, you're going to find yourself in a place of getting shot at and yelled at and attacked from both sides of the ditches. There's going to be people saying, you know what, you should be doing this more. And there's going to be people saying, you shouldn't say and do that. And Jesus, that's what got him crucified, by the way. He said, no, no, no. I I go by a different beat. The beat of my Father's heart and my Father's works and my Father's steps for me and what the Father tells me to say. And people didn't like that. So Jesus has our wisdom. Listen, He'll lead us to avoid the ditches. And what we can learn from Jesus in this narrative is when we fix our eyes on Jesus, our wisdom, He'll empower and remind us to be sure to fix our eyes on the person right before us. As we intentionally put ourselves before people who are different than us. And as we do that, Wisdom and Jesus teaches us in here that it's number one, it's wise to start with commonality. Commonality. When I'm intentional to put myself before others who's had a different journey than mine and yet they're weary from their journey, like I'm weary for mine. That where you start is with commonality. Now let me read Philippians 3. Paul the Apostle, he writes the church in Philippi, in Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained or I already perfected, but I press on. Someone say, press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Here's the great Apostle Paul who says, Listen, Jesus still has more for me to learn of His mind, His ways. And i got to press on. So I'm following Jesus not from a place that I've arrived, but I'm pressing on because Jesus still has more for me. That's my prayer for you is that we as a people, as a a local fellowship, would realize that Jesus still has more for us. 
And we come fixing our eyes on Jesus saying, okay, Lord, what do you need to deal with next? That's why Hebrews 6, 1, the first elementary teaching of what it looks like to be in a relationship with the Messiah Jesus is repentance from dead works. What's it mean? A constant change of the preference of our will and a change in our thinking. To keep following Jesus, the first principle of what that relationship looks like is we have to keep changing our mind to be conformed to His mind. But Paul says, verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. Someone say, reaching forward. To those things which are ahead, I press toward. Someone say, press toward. The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Therefore, let us, believers, as many as are mature have this mind. Paul starts talking about a mature-mindedness. What a mature mind or mature perception looks like in followers of Jesus. And he says, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What's he saying? He's saying that those who are pressing on, those who are in a posture to keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, those that are continuing to still follow Jesus, follow Him, hear Him, that they have this mindset. This mindset. What mindset? Mindset of commonality. Remember what Scripture said, how can two walk together unless they agree? Well, this is how. You find the place of agreement. You find and start with the commonality. Do you believe it or not? Believe it or not, friends, my wife and I disagree on a lot. And yet we're still able to walk together. Why? Because we walk together to the level of our agreement. Meaning, agreement and commonality is the basis for our relationship, not where we disagree. And what we learn from Jesus with the Samaritan is if you want to walk with a person and engage a person, you don't start with the posture of trying to attack where you disagree with them. You start trying to find commonality. This is what mature believers do. This is what Paul did time and time again when he went in different cultures and and he got before different people. He looked for commonality. Commonality. See, he says that believers, we walk in agreement to the level that we have had revealed the mind of Christ on an issue. But he didn't say that just because there's areas that we don't have revelation in the mind of Christ on, that we disconnect from one another. He just said that you're going to be able to walk in agreement with brothers and sisters at different levels based on the revelation and the understanding they have received of the mind of Christ about matters. So I can talk about some things further with some people because we've already reached a deeper place of agreement on the mind of Christ. Now here's the one point too, you've got to remember what Paul says. He says, in the areas where the mind of Christ is not revealed to both and, and there's not agreement, he said, and I'll use the phrase Pastor Craig uses a lot, he says, you're not to try to be their junior Holy Spirit. Meaning you're not trying to be the one to convince them where they're wrong and you're right. He says, nevertheless, to where there's disagreement, leave it to God, He can begin to reveal and work in them. But walk in agreement 
to the area where you do have revelation and understanding of the mind of Christ on a matter. So the mature understand to find the commonality of agreement. Listen, you say, well, what if I'm dealing with an unbeliever? Here's how. All truth is God's truth. So you find the... See, all truth and knowledge is in Christ. That's what Paul says, Colossians 2. That's why he says don't get deceived in philosophy, like thinking that there's things outside of Christ that you need. And He said all truth and knowledge is in Christ, meaning all truth is God's truth. But you're looking for a commonality. And let's talk about some commonalities that we should have and should be pretty easy, even in dealing with some unbelievers to find. One, there's one creator. There's one creator. And from one man, Adam, in Genesis, God, the one creator, made all the nations. What that means is, is we're all related. That's a biblical worldview. It's not like a minor thing. This is a, this is a huge biblical worldview. There's one God. He created one man, Adam, and all the nations, red and yellow, black and white, come from that one man, Adam. One human race. One God, one human race. Acts 17, 24, here's what Paul says. He's ministering. He says, listen, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and He's not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. Boy, I hope that's your prayer, that all would reach out for Him in this time. One God, He made all the nations from one man. Here's another thing. None of us got a vote or a choice in the color of our skin. Like before I left the, the womb or the hospital, I didn't get a survey. Now think about this. Look at the example of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Neither of them got a vote. According to God's divine plan for Jesus, He was born according to the nationality of a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Neither of them should feel a weight or a need to apologize or feel guilty for the color of their skin. So as followers of Jesus, listen, none of us never need to apologize or feel guilty for having the color of skin we do, red and yellow, black and white. All created, precious, worthy, loved in His sight. Same about male and female. What you find is, is when God's design or when God is rejected in the hearts of men, people start rejecting even the things that God from birth designed. That's what we see in culture. People starting to feel guilty. They're, they're a male or female, so they're saying, well, I'm, you know, it's a total rejection. Now listen, I want to talk, though, to some of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are white. 
Because there is in culture starting to build a pressure towards white that can carry a sense that you need to feel guilty or apologize for being white. Now there's a difference from wrong actions you might have done being white versus apologizing for being white. But here's one of the things I want to tell you as a follower of Christ. You don't have to feel weird or apologize for your whiteness when you don't make a brother and sister who is black feel weird or bad for being black. You know why some white people now deal with this attack and weight of guilt that they're white? It's because in their conscience and their heart, they know that they make people different from them feel guilty for the color of their skin and where they were born and where they were brought up. See, when I accept God's design that I'm white and I accept that, and I don't have this guilt or condemnation for who God's created me, then I don't give out a vibe to people different than me that they should apologize for not being like me. How about this one? All have sinned. Got commonality with that? All have sinned and all in need of a Savior. Jesus died for all, for every person, of every color, of every tongue, tribe, and nation. What about this one? The scripture's clear. In Jesus or in the gospel, there's no partiality with God. Salvation is available to all. The ways of God are accessible to all. He receives, partiality means he does not receive the face of anyone over the face of another. Meaning he don't receive one color over another color. There's no partiality with the Father. Here's another one. Jesus' worldview. Each will be judged according to each one's work. I love what Martin Luther King said about this. That he had a dream, he had a vision. It lines up with biblical, this aspect. That people would be judged not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Because our character determines what we do, our actions. And the Bible's clear that each of us individually will give an account before our actions or lack of actions before God. Here's another thing we should be able to agree on. God is just. He values justice. He condemns injustice. Proverbs 17, 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are alike, are an abomination to the Lord. Now here's the thing. My journey is different than your journey. But there's things on my journey where I feel like I've been wronged. And because of that, as a follower of Jesus, I should have the characteristic as a follower of Jesus to be able to be empathetic to others who say on their journey they've been wronged. I shouldn't need if someone says, you know, on my journey I've been wrong and I've been faced like that, to feel defensive. No, I should be able to understand and be empathetic and willing to listen to others and the one before me. 
Because I've experienced hurt, I can be empathetic to the one before me talking about how they've been hurt without the need of them to hear about my hurt. When have followers of Christ become so insecure in the resources of heaven in Jesus that when we get before other people, we get before them just for our needs? Jesus goes to the Samaritan because he's there because he wants to be empathetic and find commonality with her. With her. How about this one? Get commonality and agreement on Racism is sin. It's sin. It's wrong. And it should be very easy. This is not where like slow to speak, quick to listen applies. When, when Scripture is blatantly clear on sin, we don't need to be slow to speak. We need quick to affirm what God says is sin. Racism is sin. Hating people because of the color of their skin or being different than us is sin. It's sin. And we can be quick to affirm that as a church. As followers of Jesus. Racism is sin. Now, let me explain some this way. In theology and in school, we learn when it comes to missionaries. We talk about how there's a place called the 1040 window. It's a place where the gospel has had difficulty getting in because Satan has set up for generations and generations deception bondages on entire cultures and nations that oppose the name of Jesus and the gospel. Listen, there are still people, friends, in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus or have access to the gospel, the good news. Now watch this. Can I understand, just common logic, that if I was born to a family in that nation and in that place, that my ability to experience the life that I now experience would sound like another foreign land. If I wasn't born to a family that had access to Scripture, who went to church, who spoke the name of Jesus that was in covenant with God through a relationship with Jesus, I wouldn't be experiencing the life that I'm living. I can have empathy and understanding that if I was born in a Muslim country, that the possibility of me coming to hear the name of Jesus would be very limited. Now watch this. If I can understand that from a gospel understanding, then you and I should, as followers of Jesus, understand that very easy from a social and economic standpoint. That being born in certain cities, in certain families, in certain contexts, make certain opportunities seem impossible. Seem like another universe. That shouldn't be difficult for me and for you. Therefore, we should have deep empathy 
deep empathy and a burden, a heart. My God, if you can't get a heart for people that's never heard the name of Jesus and we can hear it every week and we can have access to full scripture and not realize how that we were set up for some benefits that other people weren't born to see as an opportunity, it should be very easy for us. It should be very easy. And if not, that's where you need to let Jesus grow you to be willing to go through Samaria and to be intentional to put yourself in front of a person that grew up in a different context with a different experience, maybe from a different city, of a different race, a different color, and just listen to how they're weary on their journey. Because I've had it good and I'm still weary on my journey. I still need the Father to meet me in the secret place and heal my hurts and breathe hope into me and give me faith and to see His vision for my life as a possibility. I should be very empathetic. It's a characteristic of followers of Christ. How about this one? Can we agree that the call of worship is to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? Spirit and in truth. Not just truth. Well, the Bible says no empathy, no spirit. Spirit and truth. Now watch this. Jesus identifies with us in hope that we would then be open to being challenged. So number one, wisdom. Jesus leads us from this narrative of the woman, his interaction with her, commonality second, can be challenged. Can be challenged. And when I say can be challenged, I'm not talking about the person on the other side of the table. I'm saying can you and I, as people and as followers of Jesus, can we be challenged? If we can't be challenged, we can no longer from this point keep following Jesus. Because that's what Jesus does. He keeps challenging us saying, listen, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are all your thoughts. And if you and I already know everything, then we need to go ahead and sit next to Jesus because we're the second perfect Son of God. No. Can we be challenged? Watch this. You see in the text, here's Jesus and He's with the Samaritan woman. And He says, give me a drink. Give me what is said or looked upon as culturally unacceptable. He says, give me your prejudices and I'll give you something supernatural. He says, I'll give you a gift from God. Listen, all revelation and understanding is considered a gift of God. A grace gift. That's why Paul said, how can you and I boast of anything that we've received? We didn't earn it. We received it. If there was benefits to the home I was born in, I can't boast in that. It's a gift. I received it. But to whom much is given, much is required. He says, give me what is said or looked upon as culturally unacceptable and I'll give you something supernatural. I'll give you living water. Can I tell you Jesus still offers you and I that? That if we'll give up what is so pressing to us, He'll give us something supernatural. 
Boy, this is challenging. See, that's why it's called Can You Be Challenged? Because you got to understand, this lady's weary from her journey, friend. And she's there to draw water. And Jesus says, oh, before you draw water, give me a drink. How many of us come and we gather? We say, Jesus, I'm here because you better heal me. I'm hurting. And Jesus says, no, 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 first give me a drink. Give me a praise first. Give me your priority first. Will you give me your worship first? See, if you can't be challenged, if I can't be challenged, there is no further being conformed to the image of Christ. If all we do is come and gather before Jesus just hoping to hear what we already believe and affirm, there's nothing supernatural about that. That's called a social club. (laughs) Here's the challenge. He says, if you knew the gift of God, I hear the Holy Spirit at times just looking at us. We come in, and what's burning in our heart, oh, I hope the pastor speaks to that today. Oh, Jesus, I need to be healed. We better be a sermon on healing. And we come in with us being the focus. And Jesus is saying, can you be challenged? Can you give me that? Can you give me your whatever your pressing soapbox thing is? Can you give me that first? If you do, I'll give you a gift from God. I'll reveal something to you. I'll touch you in a way. I'll move you forward in my beauty. I'll give you beauty for where there's been ashes. I'll give you healing from your broken heart. But you got to first prioritize me. That's the challenge. Will you prioritize Jesus at all times, even in challenging times? Will you still prioritize Jesus in a polarized climate? Will you prioritize Jesus above a party spirit? Will you prioritize Jesus upon a denominational upbringing? Will you prioritize Jesus? That's the challenge. He says, give me what's deemed not proper. Remember she said, a Jew asking a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? That's not proper. Jews don't do that. He says, give me what you think's not proper and I'll give you something supernatural. Now here's the challenge. You ready for this? Here's a big challenge for all of us. Jesus seemed to reinforce the perception of Jews having no dealing with Samaritans. Why? Listen, in Matthew 10, when he sent out his disciples, he told every one of his disciples, he looked them in the eye, and he says, listen to me, do you, don't you, do not go into any city of the Samaritans but only go to the lost sheep of Israel. I can only imagine if there was social media out then. Oh my God. And they heard people around him, heard Jesus say, Hey, you're my follower and I'm sending you out with my authority. And be sure not to go to the cities of people not like you. And they would just, oh, they would crucify him on social media. Look at that racist. Look at Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus wasn't PC political correct. Jesus was PC prophetically correct. Meaning, He did what the Father told Him to do and He said what the Father told Him to say. Whether it was politically and culturally acceptable or deemed beneficial or not. And here's the challenge. You ready? When appearances do not tell the whole story. I got news for you. I'm probably on social media uh, less than most of you, but I am on there. Here's the challenge. When appearances do not tell the whole story, this might be surprising to you, 
But whether I post or don't post or what I do post, that's not all to the story of Chad Craig. That's not all to the story. And I can only imagine Jesus, if, he, if they posted what he said then. That's all to the story. They would crucify him. And then I can imagine the other side saying, yeah, that's right, Jesus. He's only for his own kind. He's a racist. or he, He's all just about him. And they're tweeting that because they're using him just to affirm what they already believe. So then he says, the text that he needed to go through Samaria. He wouldn't let his other disciples go, and yet now he goes, bless you, and he, and he goes to Samaria and he sits down with a Samaritan woman. Not just a Samaritan, a woman. Double taboo in his day. And what he's saying is, is don't think that just by one appearance you get the whole story. Get the whole story. Here's what this means for you and I as followers of Christ. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. You've got to be very slow to speak to say, oh, that person's a racist. You've got to be very, very, very slow to speak. Oh, she was protesting? He was protesting? They're Antifa. No, listen. When appearances do not tell the whole story. The whole story. Can we be challenged to prioritize Jesus? You remember, someone came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, but he said, my father's died. I need to go and take care. He said, nope, just follow me. What's he saying? Listen, Jesus in our own language, based on our own journey, will say this to you and I uniquely. Prioritize me. But Jesus, I'm weary. Jesus replies, give me a drink first. Give me your trust first. Give me your praise the sacrifice of your praise first. Give me priority first. Then I'll give you a gift of God. I'll give you supernatural something. See, this was divine restriction in play. I got messages on Instagram about it. You can go listen to a previous message called R3 about the principle of divine restriction. Listen, it's to be Jesus over upbringing. It's to be Jesus over prejudices. It's to be Jesus over culture. It's to be Jesus over cultural preferences. It's to be Jesus over hot button issues. It's Jesus over political correctness. It's Jesus over denominational upbringing. It's prioritize Jesus. This is the challenge for you and I. Least, here's my fear for us, dwelling place. The Son of God be eclipsed from our vision. See, listen, a truth that can be found in Jesus, if it gets prioritized, can eclipse from our heart and vision Jesus, even though it's an aspect of Him. If all you care about and you prioritize mercy, 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 you are vulnerable to let mercy eclipse you from seeing Jesus because He's more than that. When an issue, even a truthful issue, becomes your priority, you're vulnerable to allow your vision of Jesus be eclipsed. So you prioritize Jesus, and from His eyes, from His mind, He'll lead you in the path of righteousness that He has for you on how you can be a part of the solution. What is your work and role as a member of the body of Christ in the matter? 
So characteristics for Christ followers, be willing to go through Samaria. Be willing to intentionally put yourself before someone different from you who's on a different journey than you, but they're weary from their journey also. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Prioritize Jesus. So commonality can be challenged. Third, Christ is greater. Notice the woman asks, the Samaritan woman asks the question of Jesus. says, are you greater than our father? Are you greater than our father? Jacob, who gave us this well? And here's the answer for you and I. He's greater than what our fathers and our ancestors gave us. He's greater than all of our upbringing gave us. Even if you come from a home that lived in covenant with God through Jesus, even if you grew up in the church, can I still tell you Jesus is greater? He's still got a greater degree of glory. He's still got more to Him than you and I know. That Jesus is greater than what was passed down to us. He's greater. He's so great. He's got more of Himself to reveal. That's how I know when people stop following Jesus and listening to Jesus. They're no, more, they're no longer excited about Jesus. If you keep following Jesus and you're open to be challenged from Jesus, you'll stay excited about Jesus because you'll find out that He's greater than everything that we thought we had. There's more to Him than we thought we knew. He's not boring. He's not boring. He's greater. And then she looks at Him and says, You have nothing to draw from. You imagine people look and say, You don't have the experience to draw from. Jesus, you... And he says, no, no, no. See, Jesus had access to greater things, spiritual realities. And then he says, what I give, it will become in him or her a fountain of water. The question you and I got to ask ourselves is who are we becoming? Because when we give up things that are not in line with the word and will and the way of Christ, he gives us of himself. He gives the gift. He gives gr more grace to the humble. And he conforms us more to his image. We become more empathetic. We become better listeners. We become more intentional to make space at our table and in our environments for people that are different than us. We are more intentional to make sure we make people who's had a different journey than us, but they're weary from their journey, feel welcome and know they're welcome and affirm their value and affirm their worth. See, Jesus said the Father's looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. We're to be becoming something. And so a characteristic for Christ's followers is that Christ is being formed in us. The question is, is, am I becoming more empathetic, more like Christ, or am I becoming more polarized and more political? Because Christ is God's answer to unite a divided creation of Jew and Gentile. His blood and what He did through His self-giving love brings unity. Unity. Christ is greater than temporary fixes. And characteristics of Christ's followers is clarity. Let me tell you a clarity of Jesus' worldview. I'm going to start with a, a quote by Chester and Timis that I find challenging. The most loving thing we can do for the poor is to proclaim the good news of eternal salvation through Christ. It is by no means the only 
loving thing we can do for them. But it is the most loving thing we could do. What if I rewrote it and put it this way to challenge us? The most loving thing we can do for the racial tension is to proclaim the good news of eternal salvation through Christ. It is though by no means the only loving thing we can do now. But in the end, it is the most loving thing. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But I want to encourage us as followers of Jesus that in what, if you're spending time, see Jesus when He spoke about cultural issues, it came out of the secret place. I'm not too sure that all my brothers and sisters that speak about cultural issues, that what they're saying comes out of the secret place of the Father. See, Jesus only said what the Father led Him to do. It comes out of the secret place. If it's coming just out of the emotional place, good luck that seed changing people. Because bitter words just stir up bitter words. People that don't have peace in their heart stir up a lack of peace in others. So, secret place. But for us, when we are led and we make our post to affirm what needs to be affirmed, racism is sin. How many of my brothers and sisters are my peers, other preachers, make posts and stuff without in that pointing people to God or Jesus? How is that going to bring the lasting change that's needed? It's both and. I can affirm that God loves black people. And He loves people, all people. And point people to God in a biblical worldview. That's the uniqueness that you and I play in the polarization of culture. As we stand and both sides are saying, no, you need to do more of this, you need to do that. And we stand and say, no, we affirm this, we find commonality here, and we point people to Jesus. Because ultimately, if He don't change people's hearts, and change people's minds, you're just going to find it in the next generation. The fruit of sin. So commonality can be challenged, Jesse. Christ is greater, number four, the conditioning of our city. Did you notice, or did it slip by you, that this encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, that it happened outside of her city, of where she was brought up? And did you notice that the encounter... It happened away from the masses. It happened outside the city. It said then, after this, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man. I bet that was an interesting statement. Because here's a woman, been married five times with the six, meaning probably all her city knows her business and her Ability to interact with men. Listen, you don't get six men if you ain't got some ability to interact with men. (laughs) And yet she's saying, oh, but I found another man. And at first they're like, yeah, you said that before. But she said, no, 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 listen, this man doesn't come from where we come from. This man is not from our city. He's he's different and he stands out. See, this is how the gospel works. The Apostle Paul quotes to the church in Corinth, Old Testament, where he says, if you'll come out from among them, the them is your upbringing, the worldview, the people you grew up, 
the condition you understand that how you grew up the city you grew up conditioned you to think certain ways have certain prejudices beliefs and she said no no this man doesn't come from where we come from he's different he stands out and he stands out so much that though he's a Jew he's not like every other Jew that's my concern I don't want to sound like every other white person who's an unbeliever in this time I want to sound like a white believing follower of Jesus in this time. I want to talk about a man who stands out. He says, no, come see this man. He's not from our city. He's different. He stands out. Oftentimes, it takes moments for people to get away from what they've always known, what they've always viewed, what they've always seen, because where you grew up conditioned you to certain values and perceptions and judge, uh, prejudices and viewpoints. And Jesus wants to meet us outside of where we've been conditioned. Some of us have been conditioned based where we grow up to not be empathetic. Jesus wants to meet us outside of that. This is why Jesus sent different followers of His into different places. Do you know that Peter was called a sent one, an apostle to Jews. But Paul was a sent one, an apostle to Gentiles. What's different is Peter spent his whole life around Jews. The city and the environment he grew up conditioned him in a certain way so much that he had to get three visions just to go eat with a Gentile. You know what that means? He's probably not going to be the great spokesperson for the Gentiles. I mean, God's got to give him three visions just to go eat with them. But Paul traveled. He was educated. He had a lot of experiences. He had a lot of encounters with people that were different than him. And God used all that to build his capacity to be able to influence people and connect with people different than him. That's why Jesus sent here. Now, here's my point. Some of you, brothers and sisters that are white, you're teetering on that ditch of being so overwhelmed that you do nothing and you disconnect from a real important issue to the heart of God. You're teetering on that. And here's why. I'll tell you it this way. When I grew up in church, we would always laugh and talk about how we feared surrendering to the call of God. Because we feared that if we surrendered our life to our Creator in God, that He would send us out into the jungles of Africa to live in a hut with mosquitoes that are bigger than our hands. And it's like we would do everything we could. We would grip ourselves to the pulpit, the altar, saying, I'm not going to surrender to God. And I feel like some of our brothers and sisters, my white brothers and sisters, that's how we're doing this issue. It's like we're refusing to affirm what should be so easy to affirm. Racism is a sin. That you love black people. That you want justice. That you wouldn't want your relative killed unarmed. Regardless of circumstances. Dear God, that's why we got courts and things like that. Because you think if you surrender to the empathy that God's going to make you become the next Martin Luther King. 
I tell most of you that based on your upbringing and your experiences and how God's led and brought you, you're probably not who He's been preparing to be the next Martin Luther King. But He also isn't saying that you can stay comfortable and not follow Him forward in some way of empathy and being willing to go through Samaria. See, I need you to understand something from your pastor's heart. Michelle and I, this is numerically and by majority the most white church we have ever led. Now, I've been a part of other churches, but I'm talking about led. The first church we planted was in the Philippines. You know what that meant? When we gathered under that banner of Jesus, I was the only white person. If you haven't figured it out or not, my wife's not white. When we planted and I committed to go to Orlando once a month to plant and be a part of Dwelling Place Orlando, you need to understand. That's how God's used our movement at this point and used your pastor. It was 95% African American, black. The rest Hispanic. And when I showed up, normally I was the only white person. Now listen, I'm not asking you to be totally like me. Because listen, the reason that happens in my life is because I have a missionary gift where God has given me a heart by calling that loves and values being around people different than me. It's a missionary gift. But just because maybe... and. My experience, I grew up in a large city. I was bused over an hour one way into schools in different parts of the neighborhood that I grew up. I grew up with black friends and white friends and and multicultural schools. God used all that to then prepare for His calling upon my life. And it's okay if that's not your calling because it's just like it was okay that Peter wasn't an apostle to the Gentiles. But it's also not okay for me to say, you know what, I don't have the gift of mercy. So I'm never going to grow and become intentional to trust Jesus to develop the ability to be merciful to people. That would be wrong. For most of us at Dwelling Place, it's a primary, we of course have many cultures here, but white is still the majority. It would be wrong for us to not trust Jesus and be willing to be challenged, to grow in our capacity to be willing to go through Samaria and to grow in our ability to value and see the diversity of God and the beauty of God. And someone that looks different than us, has a different upbringing than us, comes from a different city than us, even worldview. the neighborhood that we moved in when we planned the church I would have conversations with Muslims we didn't come from the same worldview, but I'd sit there in my neighborhood on a park bench with a Muslim and find commonality that's a characteristic for Christ followers 
So the question is, will we have the characteristic of renewing our mind? That's why if you follow me on Instagram, I, I told my white brothers and sisters, listen, I'm not, I'm not the one that's been prepared to speak all to this issue. But I got a brother, a black brother, a black minister brother, a black pastor minister brother, Dr. Tony Evans. And if you want to glean from someone in this time, glean from him. He's lived the life. God's prepared him to be a voice, a Jesus follower of voice in this time. Glean. We're all being asked by the leader of our lives, Jesus, though, to prioritize Him and be willing to be challenged and to grow in empathy and compassion and the ability to listen without being defensive, to boldly declare racism is a sin. And here's the other point that I think that a lot of us, brothers and sisters, are white. The Lord would ask of us at Dwelling Place. That's that we would be accountable to one another and not allow any racist comments or jokes or prejudices be said and not hold each other accountable and saying, not on my watch, that's not acceptable in this place. That we prepare an atmosphere that if black friends or black brothers and sisters or people that's different than us, the white majority, come in here, that they're not walking on eggshells wondering. <laughs> Is this a safe space for them? Would we stand up and protect them? We can prepare an atmosphere when they come in. There's not a hint of any of that. That they know there's a people, regardless of color, that we will say we value them and we will stand with them and they're worthy and we love them and here's a safe place that they can seek pursuing Jesus right where they're at. Right where they're at. Lastly, can you acknowledge that your upbringing conditions you to thinking and ways of the world contrary to Christ? fact that Jesus said the Father seeking those that are worshiping spirit and truth sounds like it's uncommon I don't want us to be a common expression of Jesus I want us to be uncommon commonality can be challenged Christ is greater conditioning of the city lastly consumption Jesus said listen the disciples came back they got food Jesus isn't interested any longer in the food. They know He was weary from His journey. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus says, listen, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Is that what we're, you and I are consumed with right now? To do the Father's will and to finish the work and the role that He's called us to as a part of the body of Christ? Here's the question I had to ask myself. Where, as the band comes, where and what is energizing me? Is the media, is the opinions of unbelievers and others energizing me? Or is the will of the Father and the work He sent and called me to do, is that where I find my energy? I think I told you before, but for whatever reason, I think it's the Lord just helping me out. But on Sundays, on my commute, on my ride into the gathering, every Sunday, my iPhone, while I'm driving in, pops and it tells me 
the amount of time I've been on social media. Every Sunday, it's like just the Lord reminding, hey, what are you consuming? What are you consuming? Where are you finding your energy? And I knew this was a point in my message. And it happened today on the way in. Like, oh, moment of truth. I don't want to be a hypocrite today. And it popped up and I looked and it said, your time was down this week. I said, thank you, merciful Jesus. Listen, we got to consume the heart of the Father. The words of the Father, the will of the Father. Least we sound like everybody else around us. We're called to consume Christ, to be conditioned by Him. I don't want to just sound like every other white unbeliever. As a white believer, I want to have a different perspective in Jesus' worldview coming through. You remember what Jesus said? He said, you say there's four months till the harvest. But I say to you, here's the point, listen. What you say affects your sight. What you say affects your sight. Jesus' words came out of the silence of the secret place with the Father. If I sound like a white unbeliever, all protesters are looters. Listen, what you say affects what you see. You start saying that, that's all you'll see, be able to see in life. Someone says, all policemen are evil. If that's what you say, that's all you'll see. Characteristics of Christ is to be very slow to speak. That our words flows out of a silence that came from consuming the heart of the Father. And you know what I found? You get in, I'm talking about the revealed presence of God. He'll condition your heart to be empathetic. Full of love and compassion. Hard hearts can't reach hurt hearts. It's soft conditioned hearts. Conditioned with the oil of heaven, the Holy Spirit, that sound different in a polarized world. And that's why before we leave today, we're going out of here that we're going to say, our hope's in Jesus. He's eternal. He's our need. Because what we say, where our hope is in, affects what we see. And we have to be empathetic that there are many people Though the kingdom of God is at hand, they can't see that the kingdom of God's available because of where they grew up, of what they were conditioned, the environments they grew up in. We should be very empathetic, very understanding. Let's talk Jesus, my friends, in the midst talking about his heart in these times he alone in the end will fix it all so characteristics for Christ followers that we would be 
attuned to the person in front of us, that we would be willing to go to Samaria, willing to be stretched, quick to listen, slow to speak, boldly, unashamedly affirm racism is sin, that we love black people, that God loves black people, that Jesus shed His blood for black people, He loves all people, that we're a people that say, Kingdom of God, Lord Jesus, come. We're weary of all this sin and brokenness. That we would prioritize Christ as central. We would renew our mind from the conditioning of our upbringing. And that even in the midst of difficulty, we would still give the sacrifice of praise. In this time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.